0: to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Fisher, and I'm very happy to introduce someone tonight. She's here visiting, and we're having a great time. In fact, we almost forgot to hit the record button because we were having so much fun talking before. This is Cheryl Costa. She's an author. She's a witch. She's a researcher, and she's a teacher. And so, welcome. I'm very happy to finally get to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't you just go ahead and jump in with, you know, expand upon a little bit on your biography because I didn't want to do the, the, the deep explications because I, it's too many things and I'd forget okay. because you're, like, accomplished in things. Well, let's
1: do with what I'm doing right now. Okay. Um, I want there to be no doubt from where I'm coming from when I talk consciousness, metaphysical... Consciousness, reaching out to ETs, that type of thing. Uh, mystical woo-woo, as some people call it. Uh, I'm a witch, card carry, pointed hat wearing, broom totem, wave wa- uh, wand waving. Okay, I am a priestess of the goddesses set, which you might know her as Isis. I, a, I am a priestess of hers. I am dedicated to... <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still getting over the cold. I was afraid I was going to cough on you. Uh, I'm dedicated to service, sacrifice, compassion, and love unto all things. That's what we are about. And there's a lot of us. I've got, had seven advanced students over the past year. I never asked them who they, who they venerate. I just knew they were all pagans, right? When we decided to start teaching a, a, a super large class, uh, 50 people uh, of witchcraft 101 for a year and a day um I asked everybody what their I was making badges I was gonna put our icons on of our goddess traditions you know and I figured I'd have a you know a couple Odin fans and things like that of the uh seven of us uh, six of us were all Egyptian pantheons that is
0: not an accident. <laughs> that's amazing and and statistics just- Statistically significant, I would say. We thought so, you know, <laughs> and,
1: and we're finding a bit of that in our class as well. So it's, um, it's I've been doing the thing with, um, let's see, a couple of years ago when I was in upstate New York, just before we went into COVID lockdown, uh, I figured out I had been doing some work uh, using marketing data both Facebook marketing data and Amazon marketing data. And I determined there was upwards of uh, 8,700 to 9,000 pagans in the Onondaga County, upstate New York area, which is where I lived. And um, so I I decided since nobody else was doing it, well, there was somebody else who did it, but she moved on. A lady by the name of Mary Hudson was the f- the first chaplain at Syracuse University pagan chaplain and because that was a Methodist school there was a lot of hoo-ha about it and they they the the old guard accepted it with gritted teeth yeah uh when she retired I applied for the position I was informally interviewed at a Christmas party I was formally interviewed and then formally interviewed by the director he said, what can you do for us? I, sh- I wrote down on a piece of paper what I could do for them. He said, let me talk to the stakeholders. Ultimately, he came back and he says, we're not going to backfill the position. This is, a, this is traditionally a method, Methodist school, and we're not going to be encouraging pagan paths. So I just stopped dealing with them. So I went, and went, to, I went to the Onondaga County Ministerial Association, And when I showed up, I was wearing a black clergy shirt like everybody else, except I had a green collar, Mm -hmm. bright iridescent green. (laughs) And um, so one of the first questions they asked me out of pure ignorance, a couple of these ministers, do you people have a god? And my answer was, yeah, of course we do. We got gods and goddesses by the bushel. (laughs) And and they just sat there – their eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger, and I explained to them like the Egyptians had like fifteen hundred and three, but principally about a hundred. But uh, main main gods, but they had about fifteen hundred. They they had a god for everything, and sometimes backups for those. You know, um, the Greeks had. Uh, I'm I'm twisting papers. I'm using reviewing my notes. The Greeks had twelve principal gods and goddesses with a pantheon of over thirty one hundred um what they call attribute gods and goddesses. Uh, in Christian tradition, we might call them saints, or rather just, they got the idea of saints from deities from our pantheons. But, you know, hey, hey we don't want to split a hair there. Yeah. Even the God, one God view with Allah is seen to have 99 attributes. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Hinduism, they have their huge pantheon. Uh, they have 33 million deities. Some people say, how can they have 33 million deities? And the way I explain it, and the way it was explained to me, is think of Brahma as the core of the tree, the trunk of the tree. And all those other pantheons of gods and goddesses and some of the ones that we know of are those branches and family branches on those trees, the families of those gods. Okay. And that doesn't count the other 90 or 100 native traditions around the world, indigenous tribes that have their own pantheons. So, from my viewpoint, we got plenty of gods for everybody, you know, yeah. every face you want. And then uh, to make myself popular, they say, Well, we have one God. He says, Oh, yeah, you got Yalve. Okay, uh, all right. So you don't seem impressed. I said, No, I'm not. <laughs> I said he I said all the ills we have in the world, you know, like the fall of matriarchy, among other things, all the hate, all the persecutions, the burning times for the witches in Europe we can blame on Yelve. As a god, he's kind of a minor demigod, actually, in the scale of things. He's got an ego the size of our solar system. Uh, so uh, I really made some points with them by saying that. I said, but, 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 he took the Jews out of Egypt. And I says, yes, in Egypt, like I told you, had 1,300 gods. And the Jews had their own temple, and they had Yahweh, and they had Asherah as his consort. Now when they got exited and Moses came down off the mountain with some rocks with some words carved in them, suddenly there were no, not going to be any other gods other than yalve So all the pagan shrines went away. All the goddess statues went away. And the Jewish women were suddenly left with only a male face of deity to, to recognize and to, be vener- and to venerate. It just didn't resonate. So it serves... Memory correctly, memory correctly if we think in terms of the first laws against sorceresses was from the hebrew bible and was exodus i'm gonna drop it again aren't i Twenty two seventeen. 17 do not suffer a sorceress to live Well, why would that suddenly happen in the Exodus years when they're when the Jews are wandering around in the Middle East trying to look for a home? Well, think about it a minute. If their if their principal God has said we'll have no other gods before us, and all these other women decide to go back to their Egyptian gods goddesses at least, okay? So they had somebody to venerate that recognized them as human beings and not as chattel. That was against Jewish law. And even moving out of that era in the second, uh, uh, sec, uh, the last couple of centuries B.C., as they come into the, the, the common era, they even assign punishments of torture and execution for sorceress, sorceresses. So the, the fall of women was by design and a lot of things just haven't been right and i i call i call it like i see it and i didn't make a lot of friends initially with the <clears throat> excuse me with the pagan uh, with the um ministerial society initially but then they started realizing as we got into covid i was rolling with it and they said how are you rolling with it better than us i said we have a completely different view than you do now, you guys are all sweating, all everybody dying and everything, but aren't you waiting to go to heaven or something? so well, yeah. what do you guys do? I said, uh, we, we're we're programmed into rebirth. We know we're just going to die now, and we're just going to come back in another chicken soup. That's all. <laughs> and <laughs> they, oh, <clears throat> boy, I got their attention on Zoom call. They're one of those 2020 Zoom calls. So, uh I've been, we had a temple going for a time, but 20, uh, COVID messed it up. This is back in Syracuse, New York. And I've lived here in Ohio now since the 16th of December, 2021. And we sat here and celebrated Yule on a card table and two folding chairs. We bought with us and brought with us in the car. And as the movers had brought everything in, our apartment looked like a container ship. Um, <laughs> Because we packed a lot of our stuff in bankers' boxes. So instead of a lot of big boxes, we had a lot of little boxes. And they were stacked too deep from every wall in the place. (laughs) Um, I used to produce a television program. I I used to be an industrial filmmaker. And as an industrial filmmaker, I did this for IBM for six, six years made industrial films. I mean, like 70 of them, okay? And I was a writer-director. And uh, I was very good at it. Not everybody that's in industrial, is a filmmaker, professional filmmaker, is in Hollywood. That's the thing you need to get through your head. Everybody has the idea. It's a very tiny, small percentage of the profession, okay? There are many more industrial filmmakers than you can shake a stick at as compared to the folks in Hollywood. Um, so I decided in 1991, I'd become, I had become Wiccan in 1975 when I was in the Navy. So I had this crazy idea. Uh, I had become Wiccan in, uh, in, on Imbolk, officially on Imbolk 1977. Uh, and, uh, I had been more or less Gardnerian because that's pretty much what the material was in those days. Uh, by the early 80s, I had been plugged into goddess worship. Uh, and got into got that flavor. The Starhawks, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually used to know Starhawk rather well, and I used to know uh, Margot Adler rather well. Um, Starhawk, last time I talked to her about a year or so ago, she was trying to remember me. And says, Were we arrested together? No, oh. <laughs> that narrowed it down a little <laughs> bit, you know, um uh, so uh, so the bottom line was uh I decided I knew craft to be a beautiful thing, and I decided to produce a cable television program for it, and uh i went went to a bunch of cable stations and pitched them, and they laughed me out of the office, all this sort of thing, okay, and finally, this one station said, "Well, take a chance on you." we'll get, we'll let you do six episodes and six measly half hour episodes. And I said, okay, I'll do stu- it. I'll produce them in the studio. We'll put them in a can. You'll have them for the submarine replacement you're talking about. Okay, fine. So uh, I went ahead and recorded about the first three of them. Somebody got a whiff of something. And I got a a lady, at the time I didn't have a telephone. I was living in Laurel, Maryland. I had just moved there, hadn't had time for Bell to put a phone in for me. And uh, this is 91. Okay. And somebody came, uh, a lady came to the door and said, you don't know me, but I went to high school with Jack Show-and-so. He's a executive producer down in Arlington 33. And I said, yeah. And he says, he needs you to call him. Something's happened. I thought to myself, my God, maybe the place burnt down or something, you know? So I walked down to uh, the convenience store and had my MCI card out and called him. I says, what's going on? And he says, a 300 word story went out on the Associated Press this morning about your show. We haven't said anything. Have you? And I said, no, I haven't sent any press releases out. I wanted to wait till the six, six were in the can. Well, somebody leaked it. And this 300-word story went out on the web, or uh, out on the wire. I said, okay. So being a PR person, I said, did we get any press ink? He said, no, Cheryl. But CBS and ABC News is sitting in the lobby, and they want to talk to your witches. Oh. So where we lived, with straight driving time and no serious traffic, we could have been down there in 35 minutes. Okay. But this is Washington, D.C. in 1991. Uh, that would have been a three hour drive if there was no accidents on the road. So the CBS affiliate said, could we meet you tomorrow? And I told them where roughly where I work. And they said, can we meet in that park about two blocks down? I said, sure, let's do that. And we agreed on time. The ABC affiliate, channel seven said, look, you're over, you're over on the other side of the beltway. This time of day, Route 50 that cuts right across DC is literally empty. We could drive across that and meet you over at the New Carrollton Metro Station. It's a subway station. I know station.
0: exactly where you're talking. I used to live in Jessup. So, I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I know, I know, yeah, I know which road you're even talking about.
1: So the host of the program and I were sharing a household to save resources. She had two little girls. And we each grabbed a baby and ran through the shower. Okay. One was like two. The other one was like about eight months old, you know. So we, we ran through the shower, put a little makeup on, threw everybody in the kid seats in the U-Go and took off, right? You know, met them down there at sundown. And they had all their lights up in the parking lot and their snorkel up there, beam microwave signal back to the station. And they interviewed Kestrel, the host of the show. She was 25 years old at the time. Because the witchcraft community got wind I was going to produce this and they didn't want a transsexual priestess representing witchcraft in, in D.C.
0: Uh, okay. 1991.
1: Come I know. On. So um then they interviewed me. The piece aired at eleven twenty-five. And the next morning, I didn't even get to see it at the time. Okay, because I didn't even have a TV hookup. I got into <laughs> I got into work the next morning at IBM and my boss is sitting on my desk. Oh, I said, hi, what's what's up? He says, 1125, last night, Channel 7 ran a piece on witchcraft and a television program you're producing. He says, yeah. He says, I got a phone call from the general manager at 1145 saying, what the hell's going on? I says okay. He says, he's concerned you're going to look badly about the cunt and make us look bad because you're teaching witchcraft or you're doing witchcraft on television. I said, "Are you planning to buy advertisements on my station or on my or on my television program?" No, he said. That I'm not going to talk about you. Okay, I only talk about people who buy advertisements. I'm 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 sorry. I'm a commercial producer. Oh, okay. (laughs) But what they couldn't get away was that 300 word story hit the wires, and suddenly the TV station, this little TV station in Arlington, Virginia, 49,000 households, barely 50,000 households, started getting 7 to 12 phone calls a day asking to talk to me or to Kestrel. Um, Fine, so I really forced the issue of the phone company to get me my phone, okay? This went on 12 to 15 calls from a news agency someplace for 12 weeks every work day all right so um, Larry King had us on the night our our episode debuted Okay. understand I had not done any television since I had changed only a couple of years before suddenly people like my parents one didn't know I was a witch (laughs)
0: Oh, boy.
1: Okay. Uh, we're getting calls they had, uh, from people they haven't talked to in 10 and 15 years saying, Hey, we saw your son dressed in a dress on Larry King, and he, she, it is a witch.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a way to come out to your parents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <clears throat>
1: so that, that was the beginning of it. Then Entertainment Tonight showed up. They did a huge piece on us. And then producers from Hollywood, because we were making the argument. It's always been an ugly face of witchcraft. It's always been the medieval church telling us what we're supposed to how we're supposed to view witches. We are going to show you what we really do. And that's what we did on our program. It was like a little talk show, except the priestess sat in front of a coffee table. We had a goddess altar there, some candles going, some incense going, and she'd sit on a pillow, very hippie. Style and whoever her guests were were sitting on pillows across from her. It's very intimate. The second season we went to a couple wingback chairs in front of a fireplace, but that first season was very hippie And uh, uh, so people these days say to me, uh, "I'm teaching classes at I'm I'm part of a clergy team at a UU church here in town. Um, I'm I'm the chaplain for their 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 pagan thread in the UU church." And uh, they said, Are, Aren't you scared to do a public class? I said, Honey, I came out on the front pa- metro, the front page of the metro section of the Washington Post on June 18th, 1991. Baby, first sentence says, Cheryl Costa is a witch and a computer consultant and an industrial filmmaker for a Fortune 500 company. You know? <laughs> That's how you come out of the closet.
0: Yep, you just jump right out,
1: and then we're on Larry King. We're on Entertainment Tonight. Um, Entertainment Tonight. Producers, they asked me on the show, well, if we we're going to do a, a proper type of witchcraft show that doesn't paint all these ugly images. What would it look like? I said, ideally? Kind of a cross between, at the time, 30-something with a big deal program. Mm-hmm. I said, kind of a cross between 30-something and Bewitched, except with a little less humor, a little bit more drama. Next thing you know, we got people talk coming from Hollywood to talk to us. And shortly thereafter, Buffy the Vampire Slayer has a witch of good repute in her entourage. And the people who produced Charmed talked to us and talked to a couple of other prominent witches. And Charmed came out very, very middle class,
0: mm-hmm. very
1: straight up. And only until recently, now that we've got a whole new generation of filmmakers are digging back into the old, um, what do we want to call it? The old, um, he, 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 <laughs> I'm a witch. Ha, 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 ha. You know, that bolt. Bull- yeah. Y- that. Yes. So th- that's come down to that. So, bottom line, I'm trying to get to a page because I need this page to remember what I'm going to say. I'm old and I've been. I'm loaded with NyQuil. If that says anything, too. So, um, I'm a little. I'm a little fried right now. Um, the bottom line and things. Uh, when I show up in class, I'm usually wearing a black black dress. <clears throat> I'll wear a a traditional clergy cowl. You know, usually. Uh, uh, white, I wear white with rainbow stripes on it. And um people say to me about this, bear with me, got the right one. Oh, people say, how come you wear, you got that black dress on and you wear rainbow stockings? I said, well, I work for a sky goddess. I work for the goddess of Aset and the goddess Newt, who is the sky goddess from ancient Egypt. And historically, sky goddesses wore rainbow colors, including the Buddhist tahinis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, that usually shuts them up because most of them don't know that level of history that I do. Um, so at this point, I've told you a lot of cool stuff. Ask me any question you want short of what I did in the Navy, which I can't tell you, and my ATM pin. Otherwise, I'm an open book.
0: All right. Well, you've written a, a book uh about witchcraft, and your theory of magic, I think, is very important, especially today, because we are living in a in a world that has kind of gone off the rails <laughs> and is going a, a little bit a lot badly. And your, your theory of magic, which is basically we can change reality.
1: Do it every day
0: at will. Well, that just tells me that we need to do that more often. You know, we need to recognize this ability and use it for good. Because we have people using a lot of other abilities for the forces of not so good to right. downright evil.
1: Okay, let's go there for a minute. Um, I get the question asked of me all the time. In fact, Larry King asked me this on June 6th, 1991. He says, uh, do you guys do dark evil spells, put whammies on people? And I said, no, it's too much work. You know, And they're not worth that kind of effort if they're that bad a person. Okay, that's my view on it. Okay. Um, But I come from the school that says send out good things. So, and then as I got in, I got in 1997, I got picked out of a crowd of 150 people. 38 years. At that point, I had been a wicked priestess for 25 years. And uh, this Buddhist Lama, we went to hear talk at a temple. Walked out to me, shook hands with me, wouldn't let go of my hand, got up into my face and said, I know you. And holy, Holiness, I have not met you, I have not known you in this lifetime. He says, Of course not. Two, three, four times, past 400 years. And he looks at the gal next to me who's a pal of mine. I know you too. And he looks back at his aide and he says, these two, they hang out together lifetime after lifetime. Nice to see you again. And he toddles off and his aide leans into his house. He plays it close to his chest. I've never only seen him do that one other time. I would go talk to him. So I did. And he asked me, he says, so what were you raised? And I said, well, I was raised Roman Catholic. Oh, still Roman Catholic? No, 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 no. I've been running with the wicked shamans for the last 25 years. Oh, still doing the yogini stuff, huh? I said, I was a yogini? He says, yeah, many times. He says, Are you good at the magic? I said, yeah, I'm really good at it. He said, you think you learned it all in one lifetime? This started another thread in my life of running with the Buddhists, discovering who I was. Now, the general run-of-the-mill Buddhist had no use for mag- magic, especially the Americans, remember, they were all raised Catholics, Presbyterians, Baptists, yeah. Jews, you know, they they were all programmed the same way as everybody else, and they had all these bad ideas. I was the wicked old witch in the monastery when I became a Buddhist nun for seven years, okay? The Lama didn't treat me that way, and neither did other Lamas who came to town, okay, they would look at me and call me by my monk name from the early nineteenth century. They recognized me who I was, even being this weird-looking trans <laughs> trans woman, right? <clears throat> and it, it had, in fact, one of them asked me about about my transition. He says, You always were pretty radical for the way you taught people things, weren't you? You know, (laughs) yeah, baby. So (laughs) the deal is in Buddhist tradition, Buddha teaches be kind. You hear the Dalai Lama say it all the time. Dalai Lama is in the what we call the reformed tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. There are four great traditions. There's the Tibetan Orthodox and the conservative end. That's what I'm in. And then there's the Dalai Lama at the other end, which is very, very liberal, very reformed. Okay. And there's two traditions sort of in the middle, a little bit of each. Okay. And um, – uh, the tradition I was in, the Orthodox tradition, has not only ordinary Buddhist monks and nuns, but they also recognize when Pedman Sambhava came from India 1,200 years ago, the first people he taught Buddhist Dharma technology to, it's less a religion, more of a technology. And taught, taught taught it to were the shamans of Tibet. They saw the reason of it and the logic of it, and they embraced it. So Tibetan Orthodox Buddhism has always had two lineages. What we call the red lineage is the traditional uh, Buddhist monks and nuns with the buzz cuts and the or the uh, burgundy robes and the yellow burgundy and yellow robes. They also have the uh, nakpon. Now I'm going to pronounce this for you: Ngak Nak Phone. There's Nak Ma Paz men. Nak Moz Nak Ma's women. Okay. Easy English translation: Just say the word Nak Ma or Nak Pa. Okay. All right. They were the tantric and shamanic practitioners. They grow long hair. They. Practice magic. So, if you were to go to the Dalai Lama and say, "Dear, dear Holiness, there's been no rain in my province for four months. We're going to lose our crops. Can you make it rain?" He would look at them politely and say, "Please go talk to." Uh, uh Kempo's dean or headmaster or highness, okay, His Holiness, the so-and-so who's the head of the Tibetan Orthodox tradition, and he'll give you a, a long hair to do it because the Nakpon do the magical work, do serious magical work. And they, as I embraced them, they embraced me. And recognize me for what I was capable of and what I knew. I've learned things from them. They've learned things from me. Okay. Now, is it the things they learned from me spread widely? No. But the ones who have interfaced with me have learned a different, insi- a different set of insights. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm completely brilliant, but magic is simpler than people make it out to be. It's not about lighting candles, dressing candles, pouring oils on candles, burning tons of incense and god forbid collecting crystals. Okay. Magic is about quieting your mind and learning to visualize. Now for me that was easy because I went to film school and I learned how to quiet my mind and think in pictures. I tell mm-hmm. stories in pictures. In fact, when I I'm an, I'm a published not besides being a UFO columnist, newspaper columnist um, I'm also a, um, a published uh, playwright, and I'm a published uh, a mystery writer. And I just got a contract to write a ghost story. And uh, currently, I'm writing a, 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 a spy series. I wrote a Star Trek novel about six months ago. It's currently in editing for Simon and Schuster. So um, I write a lot of cool stuff. You know, am I rolling in money? No, but I, I. I make enough to make it a make it a tax burden. Let me say it that way. Okay, you know it's just enough yeah. to be a pain in the butt at tax time. Right. Um, so, one of the things I learned in film school was the thinking pictures. Musicians, if they're musicians in your audience, they know about hearing music in their head. Hmm. Okay. So this is about thinking in pictures. This is visualizing that thing you want. Now, one of the simplest forms of magic I ever learned in, in this lifetime was I knew a lady, a very accomplished witch, very retired now, wanted this particular style Harley. It was a, uh, it was a road king. She wanted soft tail and she wanted this one of those. So she was cutting out every picture of that particular style Harley and she was pasting them. Every place she looked at, she had them on the kitchen cabinets. She had them on the microwave. She had them on the door across from the toilet in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So any place where she was somewhat stopped and relaxed, there was the road king. And she focused on it. Now. Some people would say, "Oh, we'll make a spell and make the money for the fifteen or eighteen, twenty thousand dollars it costs." You know, no. She vi- she visualized that she wanted one to come to her. About a year later, remember, magic is not like a pizza. Order it and get it in twenty minutes or your money back. Okay, magic yeah, no, is no, not it like it. that it's way. got its own time and season. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so about a year later, some guy died and willed it to her his his mint condition okay it came to her Mm -hmm. you've never heard of me but i have produced 70 industrial films which you'll never see i produced over 70 episodes of that witchcraft television program There might be three or four copies up on the internet that survived. Videotape doesn't survive well.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: Um, And uh, there's about three or four episodes up there for Kestrel and Company. K, um, Kestrel, K E S -S Y T R L, not with the E. Okay. Uh, Kestrel and Company. And there might be three or four, maybe five episodes or partial episodes up. Okay, what was able to be recovered back in 2014 by some archivists. We had all 70 episodes. We had all 70 episodes. Um, but there was no funding back in the day to put it in a controlled archive where it would have been somewhat protected. Um, I produced a show very much like this one on KCOR and in, in in Las Vegas. Midday show. Not not in the middle of the night like most of these things are. I did it midday, two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's called Cosmic Connections, and we talk nothing but witchcraft. Those are around and KCR may have them uh, on their uh buried in their archive, but they're there they're available. I had another talk radio I I've had two other witchcraft talk radio programs. I had one in London, England. Uh, at the end of uh, it started in the beginning of 2022 it went about six months and then the producers and i had a kind of a tiff about it because i had guests and they wanted less guests and wanted more me talking about mechanics of the craft and the problem was was i i work best when i'm talking with other people right you know and they wanted to take the other person out of the formula and it just didn't work for me and i just I just yeah. uh, used the clause of our contract and get out of it. But uh, what was cool was, you know, uh, a friend of mine I went to high school with, hadn't heard from him in 20 years. He was an attorney, corporate attorney. He called me up. He says, hey, Cheryl. He says, are you living in London now? No. Uh, no, I'm not. Why? He says, I saw your face on a poster at women a big banner at wimbledon i saw your face on a couple of big billboards out on one of the highways you're doing a talk show over there i said well i do it from my living room in ohio over fiber but yeah i do one <laughs> over in england yeah you know uh he says hey you gotta love the internet you know you can you can fly a thing from halfway around the world so um I've done all these things. I've published 53 books on UFOs. And I'm a statistic expert. I don't tell stories, but I wrote a seven-year newspaper column, weekly newspaper column about nothing but UFOs from 2013 to 2019. Seven years almost exactly. Now, people say to me all the time, they say, oh, Cheryl, writing a newspaper column, that must be fun. I said, yeah, it's fun, but it's an 800-word term paper every Thursday. Yeah, yeah, think about that a minute, okay. Uh, and, and you can get dry real quick now. The current one that I'm writing, I currently write the uh, Roswell, Roswell Daily Record. They were the people who reported the Roswell crash. Um, yeah, they hired me a couple months ago, and I'm seven articles ahead with them, so I don't have to worry about coming crashing up on Tuesday afternoon, wondering what, what I'm going to give them on Wednesday, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, you don't have to. You I'm a better writer well, than I was then. I'm,
0: I'm, i <laughs> uh, sh-
1: but I, I write, to, I, I, I write ahead. Mm-hmm. I tend to write about five articles. I've got a big poster right here next to my desk, a big, one of those big pads, you know, you buy that people scribble on. Looks like a big post-it note type of thing. And I've got a year's worth of articles, one-liners, what they, what they were about written. And I'm just picking them off when I'm just putting a marker through everyone as I write them. Uh, I'll write about five at a time and send them to them. I try to cape up about a month ahead. They say that the things has been going great guns. So I'm very happy with that. Like I said, you probably, I've got 12 published plays that have been produced internationally. You've never heard of me. Okay. Okay so this is the thing people say well in magic you know if if you're so good with magic why aren't you rich and famous no i'm really poor and infamous but uh the bottom line (laughs) is i've done a lot and magic has fueled a great deal one you have to learn to quiet your mind you have to learn to put the phone on airplane mode and not let, let it buzz for a certain period of time every day you have to learn to meditate a little bit. Not a guided meditation, no guided meditation music. You have to just learn to sit on a little stool or go sit on the toilet and be quiet with your thoughts for three to five minutes. People say, well, that can't be that hard. The monks do it. And I said, yeah, but they learned when they were seven. Americans have been taught, you can't walk into a restaurant anymore and not have 12 big screens blaring something at you. Right now, I can't even go into a restaurant because all the screens are blaring, the war in Israel with Hamas and back and forth and everything. And I'm a combat veteran, and that always puts me in. Every time I end up at a deal like I go into a restaurant and they got something like that going, a diner or something, I'm a mess afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Um, the v, I talk with the VA shrinks about twice a month okay, I'm being treated for a 50-year-old case of PTSD. Now, what did I do in the service? I served in Vietnam on the ground. I climbed telephone poles. People shoot at you on those things.
0: Well, yeah, because you're kind of, like, visible up against the sky and, and, we and up, up near the trees.
1: Who, we had a base commander who was an idiot and said, this base is as safe as a stateside base. We want everybody to follow stateside protocols, which meant I had to wear a, a yellow safety jacket up on the pole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> No, sir! She, no, 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 no. <laughs> you Good have Lord.
1: it. I still have nightmares about that sometimes. Uh, not often. Every once in a while. Oh my rolls. god! Um, I uh, got got we got the hose shot off our bucket truck. I was up there working on a cable, and uh, a round came out of nowhere, broke the hydraulic cable, and well, it was the fast <laughs> it was a fast drift to the ground <laughs> with oil spraying everywhere. You know. Okay, that, that was two years in that was uh, two years in the air force in Vietnam. Later, I served in the navy. I was an electronics specialist of a, a specific sort. I gathered electronic intelligence, DC to freaking light. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you with what, and I can't tell you how we did uh, how we did our jobs. But right. it was manual in those days. These days, we were the computers those days. After about 1982, computers were doing it. Right. Okay. But in those days, we were the computers. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but <laughs> give you a, give you a cool thing. Like I can, I have the back porch door here open. There's a bird out there screeching a certain way. And if he's got a certain pattern, I can identify the kind of radar he represents.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> about 25,000
1: military radars. So, uh, so. Navy we observe and report so that says intelligence work so I can't tell you what I did
0: right yet
1: <laughs> <laughs> but okay so th- that's a, that's my military background but in the Air Force I had left the Catholic Church because I at 17 I was that kid everybody thought was going to, going, going to be a priest when I well, went to Catholic school I you, went to I mass mean, every look, morning
0: but Look how you ended up. It's it's it's, it's similar, not as oh, oh, yeah. not as uncool.
1: But, no, not as uncool.
0: But you know, you you did. You just went on a different path. It's just a different. You know, path. it's
1: fun. A, a very dear friend of mine. We were first communion partners. She just celebrated 30 years as a Catholic nun. Okay, and she's one of my most avid fans. Okay. And last, about two years ago, she gave me a great big painting of all these witches flying around on brooms and dancing around a fire and everything. It's called Girls' Night Out. <laughs> I said, why did you give me this? You're a Catholic nun, for goodness sake!" She says, I went off and I got my master's degree. And when I was getting my master's degree before I went to work on my PhD, I took women's studies courses and my eyes were opened.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: something we never knew before that i never knew before and she knows the things i know about the burning times and the matriarchy coming Mm -hmm. coming apart at the seams so um so that's kind of what i do i do a lot of things those that tell if you told somebody back uh, another witch back in 1991 When all the movie, all the movies about witchcraft were Jim Henson's The Witches, very ugly looking, yeah. Um, or Rosemary's Baby, only a few years before, yeah. That was the picture. That was the image of witches at the time. Yeah. And I said, I am going to change it. I'm nobody, but I'm going to change it. And I played good practical skills. I was a qualified filmmaker and a qualified television producer so I said I will use the the tools I know to paint a better picture of witchcraft and I launched that those from six episodes suddenly after being on Larry King, the pre- president of the cable station sets me down over a cup of coffee, puts his two pieces of paper in front of me and said, sign them. I says, what's this? This is my confession or something, you know? And he, uh, she says, no, it's two 13 week contracts. Just keep doing what you're doing. This is we're getting more press and visibility in the past three months than most station, the cable stations get in twenty years. Yeah, just keep doing it.
0: <laughs> See, that, and again, that's that's magic. That's, that's magic. Changing the world through but visualization. Take your take,
1: but take the money. You, you, yeah, you might have to have money in it. But the thing was, this wasn't about Cheryl becoming rich and famous. This was, I had an objective. Mm-hmm. Give me help me with the resources, magic. Okay. Yeah. Visualize it, make it happen. Visualize it every day, make it happen. I started visualizing the project in eighty five when I was reading Spiral Dance. And I started visualizing every day. I started visualizing. I'd read another chapter. I started visualizing and imagining what a show. Uh, in fact, I did a documentary in two thousand fourteen. Uh, I was finishing up a forty year old bachelor's degree. And yeah, I did all of that other cool stuff. I didn't have a college, college degree, by the way. Um, so <laughs> funny how that worked out, huh? I now have a master's degree and they want me to teach classes and in in, they want me to teach, my old professor and I had a cup of coffee last two weeks ago, and they want me to teach adjunct and remotely, they want me to teach a class in creative writing. And the uh, my English teachers in high school voted me, le- wrote in my yearbook, least likely ever to pick up a pencil again. I did not have a gift for that. I did have a gift, gift for telling tall tales. The, the Catholic nuns knew that. They made, write, made me write on the board 500 times. I will not tell tall tales anymore. So I went into a profession where it was okay to do that. <laughs> so the deal is, you can do anything with magic and you shouldn't be doing it for your benefit. You shouldn't be doing it for bad things. Nine times nine. A lot of people, you go on Facebook and those kinds of the rooms, group rooms and things. And they say, um, you know, they got a little banner on there. Oh, we don't believe in that Buddhist Hindu stuff of karma. And we uh, there's no such thing as blowback. Mm. But they're usually the first people to complain how rotten their life is (laughs) and why things keep falling down around them, you know. Um, In Buddhism, I learned a technique called raising the great bodhicitta, okay, which is a practice of what they call raising the great abundance or the great joy, okay? So first, if you accept that there is blowback, both good and bad. So why would you ever want to throw a bad spell on you, somebody, if it was going to come back nine times nine on you for that bad spell? Yeah. It's 81 times worse? Nah. Okay, so what if I throw a really good spell? Uh, that blowback is nice. Now, mm-hmm. the practice I do, and I teach my students, make the offering every day. I Make your normal daily offering. But make that offering, I make this offering for all beings, everywhere, every when. May they enjoy great abundance. May they enjoy great health, great love, and great joy. The blowback is amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Think about
1: that. Think about that. I've had many a witch say, you have a wonderful life. What is your secret? I said, send out good things. Good things come back in abundance. Send out bad things. Duck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that at all. Because, well, I've done both. Okay.
1: We've all made that
0: mistake. Yeah. yeah. I lo- look, every witch has to screw up something. At least once, maybe five times, six times, but I was capable of learning from it.
1: Yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to shut up and look at what you did and say, "Oh, maybe I don't." Oh, want yeah, to do that I screwed that
0: time. up. I screwed that, that right. It's
1: arrogance up. that will get you.
0: Yeah, what I what I learned to do though, when someone was casting ugliness at me. Is I just I guess repelled it with a smile just that's not mine not mine this is not for us this is not don't don't settle here just go back out go out be changed this you sort
1: know. of came up in my class last Saturday um I had to step down the hall. I had kind of an emergency kind of hand holding counseling call I had to deal with, so I let my uh my t a s run a kind of a panel And when I came back in. there were people asking for protection spells. <sighs> okay, the simplest thing is that you know if you what if you gotta ward your space you know go out there and buy the big thing a kosher salt and pour it a yeah, around your bed or something like that Yeah, right? do the okay. thing. But, but people were asking not so much protection spells. They were asking for hostility. Uh, 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 what's the word when you, uh, you're being attacked? Uh, retaliation. They were asking for retaliation magic. Okay. And I said, they said, Cheryl, sure, what do you do? And I said, I've been wrapping myself in protect, think Star Trek, think shields. I've been mm-hmm. wrapping myself in protective spells for year after year yes. after year. Okay. I do it at least once a year. I'll do a meditation where I just kind of recharge the shields, so to speak. Okay. Yep. And the, the mindset behind it, well, what, don't you want to throw something back? No, I don't. I don't believe in negative magic. So if I'm doing, if I'm putting these shields up, I'm not gonna make them barbed wire. I'm not gonna make them razor wire shields. You're, well, that'll no, cut I put you too. I put no attack magic into my my defenses. Yeah, I just make it solid. And but a lot of people, our whole culture is addicted to war, and uh, the most popular movies out there are war movies okay warrior movies with you know it doesn't matter whether it's swords or tanks or atom bombs or phasers it's always somebody with a weapon yep okay and i have walked away from more fights with a simple stare down where they realized i was telling them no at a very fundamental level yes i've had this crap beat out of me a couple of times okay I had somebody try to beat the hell out of me one day a few years ago. My uh, person was about ready to try and come over and take me apart. My spouse simply looked at him. She's a combat veteran. You certainly do not want to do this. If she comes after you, you you're going to have a, a cobra in your hands. Okay. I had to make peace when I came home from Vietnam. It took me until I got into a monastery. I got out of Vietnam in '72. It wasn't till 2002, in a monastery, was I able to make peace with the ones that I destroyed. And I have very, I have a very deep anger and disapproval of our government for taking someone like me who at that time had been a good Catholic boy and taking me over someplace and teaching me to kill people. Okay? I'm a very gentle soul these days. I have made peace with a lot of bad things. And you have to do that if you're going to be a good witch. You have to make peace with all those bad things, all those bad things that people did to you in school, things your brother and sister did to you, your aunts and uncles, your stepmom, whatever. Your parents. I'm estranged from my parents. They handled my gender change. They rolled with it. They found out I was a witch.
0: I was about to say it was the witch thing, right? I am
1: so banished. I am so disowned. It is ridiculous. I mean, banished and disowned on paper. Okay, cannot get, I cannot have a meeting with them. I can still, I can sometimes call my mother up because she likes UFO stories. Every now and then I'll simply call her up. I might get, got a quick, I got to say it in the first line. Got a quick UFO story for you. Shoot. So give her a UFO story. Wow, that's cool. Bye.
0: Well, you know, UFOs bring people together,
1: I guess. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. You can't, before I started writing my first column back in 2013, I didn't know how popular it was. I suspected it was. So I went to my favorite diner, sat at the bar of the diner. And I told the lady that was waiting on me who knew me, I said, I'm going to start talking loud about UFOs. And if people start whispering to you, tell them I'm an expert. And this is where I was really an expert, you know. (laughs) and And I did. She did. I started talking loud to the truck driver next to me because I knew he'd probably seen stuff out on the highway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time, you know. Next thing you know, I got people toddling up to me from the booths. My uncle was abducted. My daughter was, uh, saw one, you know, at the Girl Scout camp. And it just was one. I could have walked out of there with six months worth of stories for my newspaper column, and I hadn't even gotten it yet.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely the way it works.
1: When I got the column, I got turned down from six newspapers. I went and pitched. They laughed me out of the office, escorted me to the door by security out of the office, chased me out of the office, you know, everything. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I got a phone call from a little weekly to say, come on over. Let's talk. We hear you're out pitching. So I went in to talk to the guy. That guy's name is uh, Larry Dietrich. He's passed now. And uh, passed during COVID. And uh, we talked for about 20 minutes over a cup of tea in his office. And turns out we were about the same age. And we he had read all the same books I had in high school and early like college and in the military, that kind of thing. And at the end, of about twenty minutes discussing some of the old writers, you know, uh, the, the the John Keels, the um, the, uh, uh, Kehoe, uh, Ke- the Kehoe, um uh all those guys. Okay, yeah, uh, Mark, uh, uh, oh, Mark, uh, no, Bob, Ed- Bob Edwards, no, John Edwards, uh, John, John
0: Edwards, Edwards. Frank like, Edwards, Frank
1: Edwards, yeah, all That's those guys, it. yeah, yeah, and so he. Looked at me and says, I'm the editor-in-chief. I can't write that, but you can. I'll try you out for a month. And he had this dread pirate Robert sound. I'll try <laughs> you out for a month. <laughs> you know.
0: I'll surely so, kill you in the morning. <laughs> well,
1: he calls me up four weeks later. I gave him four or five articles I'd already pre-written. I said, make sure you edit them. <laughs> you know, and he called me up about four weeks later. He says, get over here. We got to talk. And he had that dead pirate Robert sound. So they got the parking lot torn up. I can't find a place to park. I'm 10 minutes late to the meeting. I come into the meeting. All the columnists from the paper, it's a weekly, all around this big conference table. And he's talking to him about something. I open up the door and he stops. He looks at me. He says, there's our rock star. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you've been here less than a month. You're pulling more online page views than all of them combined. So when the first line of round of re- layoffs came about six months later, I was not on that list.
0: Oh yeah, I was that keep- makes sense. I was
1: keeping the online edition alive. Yeah, and uh, so it went on from there. And uh, six months later, the digital editor, who was my interface, I was always a freelance. I was never actually on salary. I I was paid right. as a freelance. And the um, digital editor calls me up and says, hey, you're pulling a national audience. I says, is that a big deal? He says, for a little weekly newspaper in upstate New York? Yeah, that's a big deal. It's completely changing our advertising mentality. And holy God, okay, fine. Just keep doing it. Get up to the Christmas party. The publisher and the digital editor get up there and say, our one columnist who's pulling an international audience. The wacky, cracky UFO writer. So, place went nuts. Okay, and then we got an article done by Linda and I published that book, first book on UFO statistics, UFO sightings desk reference, two thousand one to two thousand fifteen. New York Times does a story on us.
0: I saw that Ralph Ralph, Ralph Blumenthal. Blumenthal. Yeah, Blumenthal. Yeah, and
1: he actually jumped on a train, and came up, and stayed in one of the the. Uh, loft hotel type things and uh, spent two days with us first thing he said i'm here to make sure my editor satisfy my editors that you're not living in your mother's cellar or attic (laughs) and and we had we had a big old um victorian house so at the time and so he came in talked to me for a couple of hours and we had a living room in the front part of the house that we had turned into a, a full library. We had a, a, a non-fiction library of about like 1500 books and we had old we had what they called stickly furniture in it. So it, it, you expected Hercule Perot to come in and have a tea yeah. with you or something, you know. Yeah. And he um th- this he talked to me for a while and then Linda came home from work. and He sat down and talked to her and then we all went out to an Irish pub and you know, uh, he had a great meal down there and got him loosely sloshed, and uh, you know. So, this is how it went. the The paper, the story came out on the electronic edition on the twenty fourth of April. In fact, if you want to read it, it is called "People Are Seeing UFOs Everywhere," and this book proves it. Not a bad title if you're trying to sell. it. No,
0: a it's a really good title.
1: And um, it's really good that came out on the electronic edition on the 24th. The newspaper version came out on the 25th. My phone started ringing at 8.30 in the morning. First call was from the Times of London. They interviewed me for about 45, 50 minutes. And it was one phone call after another thereafter all day. I didn't find out till the next day that the phones were ringing off the hook at the newspaper. Okay, so suddenly a little newspaper in upstate New York had news directors and news editors from all over the planet calling them because we were treating the subject matter not as, woo woo ha, ha, I was writing columns that were sensible and made an argument and I treated it instead of sensation, my articles had a flavor of I wrote the articles like a flavor of just like another car accident down the street, a fire across town, a burglary over, two blocks over. I just wrote the stories like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with a great deal of respect. Just treated it like another story, like it happens every day, and yeah. to talk to people. The it diner sort of it happens does. every day? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's
0: the thing is is it happens way more often than anybody would in you know in normal life would like to think of way more often
1: people say when they read the statistics books this seems to be more about human activity than it does the ufos we thought these things would be hovering around the nuclear sites or something like this and or this or that you know
0: well they do but they they also do do other
1: things they do other (laughs) things and the goofy part with that was i said there's let's just assume there's a constant degree of traffic up there. That these things are not as r- rare as everybody says they are. All the quote experts say they're rare. Um, there's they're here, they like to watch this little planet and our eight billion people. We're cute to watch, you know. And um, the line that was referred to me by somebody who was who was an, a, a, an experiencer who has regular contact with ET and they said what their their usual remark is what have the thunderheads on terra done now
0: oh yeah i'm sure we're almost like a a, a soap opera for for any creatures we're well, like that a Doomsbury
1: cartoon for the most part well
0: early. yeah that too so, that so, too
1: so this is how this all went down so uh we did really well with it And when the paper went under in June of 2019, um, the editors actually, about February of 19, I had written a holiday piece for Halloween from late 18. And they got a lot of nice mail about it. And he said, could you give me a series? You know, like maybe rotate it like every other week with the ufo column and just do a, a, a column every week but one week do like the pagan community one week do, do the ufos and i said sure i could do that so i wrote them up a dozen articles to get them started and the digital editor called me up she was a new, a new editor for me and she called me up and said boy he's really excited he can't wait to launch this this is gonna be great stuff I said, okay good and then they called me up and says The paper's going under. Your last article will be the last art, the last edition that we're doing, you know, 26th of June, 2019. And they closed up. Um, And it was always one of those free papers, so to speak. So they completely lived on advertising.
0: Yeah, we, the, we had a local paper that did that. The web hurt
1: that a lot, and they tried to do the subscription thing, and people were too slow to respond, and it, just, yeah. it was too little, too late. Yeah. And um, a 50-year-old paper went under. Okay? And so I tried to get other papers to pick me up, and I tried for four years, rather regularly, and I got the same paper, ah, ha, ha, ho hoo. hoo. Even after the, the stuff really started coming out that it was really, it was looking like congressional hearings and things like this, the few papers that actually covered that, I said, would you like a columnist who knows something about it, you know? And again, they, they wouldn't talk to me. And then uh, I was speaking at the UFO, uh, the UFO convention, and there's two in Roswell at kind of competing conventions, one at the museum, and there's one at the news, with the newspaper down at the Civic Center. They invited me to come. Now, what happened on that was I had a loose invitation to come. Most of the edit, senior editorial staff came to contact in the desert, and they had heard me speak there. Mm. And I, I blew their bloody socks off. I showed them where they are, how big they are, or where they've been, um, the patterns, when they are, when they're not. Okay. Uh, we've, from the data, we have discerned a huge amount of information. Okay. It's all in the pink book. If you go on Amazon, you want the pink book, you go on Amazon and you look up UFO sightings desk reference. United States of America, 2001 to 2020 It's a 20-year sample. It's bright pink. Why is it bright pink?
0: So you see it.
1: Well, that too. But <laughs> in 2019, the usual suspects are lobbyists in DC. Uh, they reached out to me and said, "You know, we didn't know COVID was coming." Okay. Um, so they said, um, "When." Senator Rubio's written a bill he's going to attach to a continuing spending bill or something, maybe government reappropriations or military spending package, something they know will pass. And it's going to require congressional hearings on UFOs. It's okay. He said, you two women have written the only books of UFO statistics ever published. Would you be willing to come and testify before Congress? We have end the end to whisper in the right ears. And Linda and I are sitting there on the phone call. It says, look, we were both federal contractors. You worked your whole career trying not to have to testify before Congress. <laughs> you know. So we said, Yeah, okay, sure. So we got off the call. We have English we we do English tea in this house. Okay. And so we were talking about it, and I said, Okay, imagine that we've seen congressional hearings in during the course of our work. I said, We're on C-SPAN. There's all these guys up there behind these big, big desks and things, and they got piles of papers and books and things in front of them. If they're pulling through our book, we want them to know that it was ours. So, and we want them to know since the UFO community seems to be dominated by a lot of men, we want them to know that it was written by a couple of women and dedicated to a woman. So we made it bright fuchsia. You can flag an aircraft with this thing, <laughs> and it's it's about uh, it's about an inch and a half thick. Uh, it's we're credited with one concussion. Some woman hit her husband over the head with it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Funny things to learn about an alt alt, as an author. If you want to find all my stuff that we've written on UFOs on Amazon, go to Amazon book search, not Google, but go to Amazon book search and put in Costa, C-O-S-T-A, UFO. You will find all 53 books that we've published. Now, where did the volume come from? We've written two desk reference: one from 2001 to 2015. That's the white book, the pink book, which we just told you about. We published all the articles that I wrote for the Syracuse New Times in one collection. Okay, if you like the stories, that's the book to get. And we published um, starting last Halloween through Christmas. I'd worked on it for almost two years. We wrote 50, people had been bugging us. Can you give us a book? I said, this is your pink book only goes down to the county level in each state. Can you give us something in the villages? And during twenty twenty, I one day I ran a report on my computer. And I had nothing better to do, and it would have been a book about a foot and a half, two foot thick. It would if have been it equivalent. Was it it would have been equivalent down, going down to the village level. It would have been equivalent to three or four Oxford dictionaries. Can't do that. Nobody's going to publish it. no one's going to buy it.
0: Well, so, it. the binding alone would be hideously expensive. Linda
1: says you can't build a binding like
0: that. Yeah, that's. that's it, that's no, why libraries
1: it, have these little private tables for big dictionaries. Yeah, you know? I mean
0: it's, it's not like people have those book stand things. They anymore.
1: don't. Okay, we've it's, got a dictionary like that and we don't have one of those stands. We're still watching the antique stores <laughs> for one. believe me. Um, <laughs> the deal is what we did say, I said to do I said, I, why don't I publish an individual since we build these things with PDFs anyway? I said why don't we build, why don't we do 50 individual state books with detail down to the zip code and village level? And Linda looked at me and said you're crazy. So you've known I'm crazy since you married
0: me. I was about <laughs> I'm me. a crazy
1: yogi, I'm a crazy witch for goodness sakes here, you know. I said I can do it. And she we she kept getting up in front of audiences and says, I don't think she can pull this off. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally came to her with a final format for the book and she says, that might work. And I said, "Yeah, would you like to see the manuscripts?" I'd already done them. And uh, so we had the manuscripts for all 50. We had to do some tweaking and registering on Amazon so you can put the ISBN numbers in and all that stuff. Right. So we got them all built. I built all the major elements of the books. Some of it's duplicated from book to book because it's all our best papers. And then the second half of the book or second quarter of the book was um, uh, the... um, specific information about a state at the state level, the county level and down to the uh, zip code and right down to the cities and, and village level. Okay. And when you got it, it so, says, so, say, say you had sightings in your town, you'd find your County in the book, you go down in that County and you, uh, you would look for your zip code and then all the cities in that zip zip codes or villages in that zip code, would have next to it every a listing of every shape that had been reported in what years. So if if you had saucers and they were they were reported across eight in an assortment of eight or nine years over twenty years, there were all the numbers of what years they were in, not the sighting information itself, but it would say uh, 2018 five. You know, and and underneath it would be, okay, there's the fireballs, there's the spheres, there's this, there's that, provided they had them. And I've had people send me hate mail. (laughs) There was nothing from my town. I said, then you didn't have any UFOs reported. Didn't say there wasn't any there. You didn't, somebody in your village or your zip code didn't report them.
0: So you got the reports from MUFON and New Fork.
1: Yeah, I I got dumps from both of them. Okay. And it was a lot of work to make the two databases go together because they, 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 di- they weren't compatible. Right. And we had to develop, but we developed things that we developed to sanitize the data and make it compatible. That would take us two or three months to do back with the white book back in 2016 with the first book. Mm-hmm. Things that took us like three months to do, I can do in a month now. Things that took me a week to do back then, I can do in a morning now. Okay. Yeah. Because what do, Ex-federal contractors know how to do that the average worker doesn't. We try to do as little work as possible. That makes us sound like we're lazy. No. You do a task, you make extensive notes, and you write a process procedure. The next time you do it, you tighten it up even more to the Mm -hmm. point that every time you do it, it gets a little tighter and at some point, you've got it down to a very small amount of time. But since the the contract was written based on the first one you did, you charged the amount for the two hours that process took. But you were only dumping them out in probably 15, 20 minutes. It's called profit. Yeah. Capitalist country. Remember. Yes. People. Yes,
0: absolutely. So, so- um,
1: we were very good at doing this. So we had the data all cleaned up in 2020, except one thing. We ran a report, and we, decided, we got in there, and we noticed that that a city, little city, we'll say Jasper, Wyoming, and it would say Jasper, Wyoming, and there might be another Jasper, Wyoming, because somebody put a space in front of Jasper when they typed it in,
0: ah!
1: or they Jasper, Wyoming, next to Joe's gas station, Bob's pizza. Uh. There's all this extraneous stuff put in. of the entire database of 167,632 records. 3% of that, take your calculators out, kids, figure out how big this is. They didn't enter the name of a city for the report. Blank. Hmm. 7% entered the city, but either didn't spell it right, used variable case writing to write it, you know, capitals and Little letters make sort just all capital letters or something. Old people tend to do that. And um, or they wrote something in, like I just told you, they wrote in uh, Jasper, Wyoming, next to Joe's gas station. Right. Okay. Um, so we couldn't clean that up easily. So it was 2020. We were in lockdown. We had no place better to go. Nothing better to do. So it was like I suddenly came out of retirement and I sat down and put in a seven-hour day, five days a week. Total eight, let's see, started the second week of August, ended the, no, first week of August, ended the second week of January 2021. I logged 850 hours. That's another thing federal contractors do is log your time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we logged 850 hours doing it. But while we were doing it, cleaning that up, we added like lat longitude. We added like zip code, that kind of thing. Cleaned up the county data from the previous book's database because some of it was wrong. Um, uh, it, it, it was a very delicate thing to fix, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we fixed it all. And it was an 850-hour effort just to do that one Task. It was about three to five. There's no spell check to do this. Believe me. No, no. Yeah, we had to write. We had to work on as little as five hundred lines a day, to as much as if I was in a good mood, maybe twelve or fifteen hundred lines. But it it was. We took the database and brought it down into a spreadsheet to work with it in that environment. Okay, it was grueling. It was like going back to work at Lockheed. Eight hours a day, forty hours a week. Okay. But when we got done, we had a pretty pristine setup. So I started building the reports for every single state. And we stole the high level county and state data from the pink book since we had already done it for every right. state. Right, we did and it county. once. So. so we just. Why do it again? Why do it again? And it was the same number of sightings anyway. We didn't add anything. Right. So uh, we were able to minimize our costs of overhead and labor that way and um and the percentages of variances for any one state only changed by less than 10 plus or minus five kind of thing it was not very much so we wrote us you even wrote a little disclaimer and said to save money we did this okay and nobody's argued about that so i built all these things and i came to linda and i said i would like to launch the first one, we'll do Ohio first since we live there. Ohio, And the names of the books are all the same. We kind of tied into the um, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, UFOs mm-hmm. in Ohio, and Where to Find Them, UFOs in Texas, and Where to Find Them, UFOs in California, and Where to Find Them. They're all named the same thing except to the name of the state. So we launched Ohio first, tightened up our process, launched Michigan second, why did we launch Michigan Second?
0: Because it's next door.
1: No. It's because we were hoping to have the book out in time for a Michigan conference. We went to ah, a conference. Okay. okay. That makes sense. But uh, we, we put that up. And then the, the third installment, a week later, we did five books. We tightened up the process to the point where Linda would go on. I gave her the titles. She... Plugged them into the Amazon publishing system. That would give her the. Uh, we had a standard stock write-up for you know the the, the authors, all the stuff you got, all the yeah, writing yeah, all the, stuff, all the
0: business know. end of stuff. So to, she had a template
1: yeah. for that. All she had to do was cut and paste that in, and it would generate a an ISBN. And she'd write it down for me, and she'd hand me back these. I'd go back into the PDF that had the front versal material. That's the only thing I had to change. Make the corrections there. from from the template we had Mm -hmm. and then just put them all into one PDF, merge them all into one PDF. Adobe Acrobat made this possible, okay?
0: Yeah. Put
1: them all in there. We published five the next week. Now, remember, I started on Halloween. This was a magical effort as well, okay? So we... Published five a week for the next few weeks. Got to about the last 20 books. I looked at Linda and said, the process is tight enough now. I will give you 10 next week. See if you can do it. She did. And then we did 10 more and we were done. And we were done just before winter solstice. We did the entire thing in one magical period. That's magic in industry.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. Did you do any, um, what kind of computer did, analysis did you do? Did you use anything like machine learning or any of that kind of?
1: The way we collated the data? Yeah. Truth be told, we did most of it between a database program, uh, a simple Microsoft data program called Access and Excel. Okay. Remember, I'm an old-school intelligence analyst. I was the computer. I did yeah. the analysis. I'm a so, trained analyst.
0: So uh, <laughs> a friend of mine is uh, the, the, a uh, – Your
1: tax dollars paid for those books in a sense by giving me those skills.
0: But it's, <laughs> I think it was worth it. Yeah. Um, so I have a a friend who is a contractor – works for a, a contractor out in Dayton and he built a database out of Albert Rosales's humanoids uh books books of humanoid sightings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's like you know cuz i read them and i'm like that's a these very are very really- specialized area and I'm like, this is really interesting, but there's no way I can collate it really well. And, you know, so I'm an old school journalist. So I started flagging with post-its and had a map with some pins and something. And then I was like, you goofass! This We have computers. The, the computers, this is what they're good at. So I said to Morgana, I said, did we know anybody who can do that? And she said, "Oh yeah, Chris can." And I'm like, "What? I thought he was a historian." She's like, "No, he's he's an astrophysicist and a and a computer scientist for uh, you know, somebody who contracts for the government, not for the government directly, but yeah." And I said, "Oh, invite him to dinner, please." <laughs> so, that's that's how I talked him into this crazy project, which we're still working on, but because he works as a contractor for a government agency.
1: To your your question, though, uh, at Contact in the Desert, I had at least three people who were not just Joe Teenager plays with uh, um, uh, AI chat, you know? Yeah. Um, Several uh, laboratory types that ask if we'd be willing to let them let the AI take a shot at the scale of the database. Right. And, and they would be doing it at a level that wouldn't be at the level where there was as much visibility and oversight. They would be doing it like a, a research firm that has access to the system. Right. Okay, it's more private. And, None of them could convince us that our names would still be with it.
0: Mm, that's not cool.
1: And Linda and I just just, just absolutely love the patriarchy, as you know. Uh, <laughs>
0: yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it's our favorite.
1: <laughs> it's our favorite, yeah. Um, finally, a gentleman from Israel sat me down. And we had a really long talk at Contact in the Desert. So understand what time this talk is. I had just given a, I had just been on a stage with, um, oh jeepers, we, everybody there you'd know. We had Nick Pope up there. We had um, uh, uh, Linda Mouton Howe up there. Uh, We had the guy that ran for Congress on the UFO ticket. We had Steve Bassett was the moderator. Uh, Three other people who you would know in a minute if you saw them. And I was sitting down on the far end of this panel of eight people. Okay. In fact, when I went up on stage to do this before they let 3,000 people in to hear us, I looked at Steve Bassett. I said, Steve, I'm looking at all the names here. Jeepers creepers! She got me up here with, with with sky goddess gods and goddesses. I can't compete with these guys. I do numbers. Says you've got insight that all of them. They're all involved in politics. You've got the numbers in your head. You know how things work. You'll see openings. Trust me. So I just sat down there and listened, and and it didn't sound look like I was going to say much. And then when someone said something about Arizona said something about how many there are and what's going on in Arizona. I would flag for the MC and he'd give me the gavel and I'd say, um, okay, Arizona's the number seven state. Maricopa County is the number two county of thirty nine hundred counties. And you know, thirty five hundred counties actually. And 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 I just rattled off the high numbers. The audience you could feel the suction of the gasp.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and
1: and and three times that happened in the course of the talk. Okay, and as we were wrapping it up, I asked one of the last two, uh, made one of the last two statements. I said, "I've shown you the scale of the numbers just with a couple of things off the top of my head. Some of you think I'm up here calculating. No, I was just verifying the numbers on the calculator on my phone because I've got most of it in my head." I was just making sure I said the right thing before I said it because I don't have my books with me. But the bottom line is, folks, they're here. They're here in numbers. We know what their patterns are. We know that they're studying us. They're worried about our pollution. They're worried about our faults, our fault lines, big time. They're worried about all of our serious pollution, all of our Big cleanup level lakes and rivers and things. Um, they're incredibly worried about that. Everybody says, "Oh, they got to be hanging out on all the, nu- all the nuclear reactors, all 55 nuclear reactors." I have the address to every single one of them, right down to the street and zip code. They aren't there. That are the people in that neighborhood aren't reporting them because they aren't there. Now, if you say, "Take me to a military base," not all military bases. People assume nuclear power plants, oh, those are toxic waste sites. No, they're not. But if you take me to a base, an active base, almost the bases in the United States back in the 70s when that lady did that thing using National UFO Reporting Center, they were all still strategic bases. At the end of the Cold War, a lot of them were closed completely. They became, yep. became industrial parks. Or they became Air National Guard or Reserve bases. Right, They're not active bases. Most bases, all of that SAC stuff got handed over to the Navy. It's all with the missile submarines and things. Okay, So the bottom line is, and I got this confirmed with Louis Alessandro very cryptically, they're only interested in our advanced technology, a.k.a. our nuclear weapons. And that has always been the case since Eisenhower. They asked yeah. us give up nuclear weapons, and they, our, our war-making uh, boyfriends don't want to do so. Okay, So that's what we're up against. But the bottom line is that's what they seem to be concerned about is the degree of our pollution. Now, why suddenly did we have a, 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 a jump in sightings after 2004? We're at an ecu- we're at an ecological tipping point. Mm-hmm. And I think half the reason we started seeing all, all of our fleet being harassed by these guys, they're trying to get our leaders to wake up and finally come clean, which is a lot more has happened in the last three years than we've had happen for a long time.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Because we seem to be at an ecological tipping point. The storm are, storms are getting nastier. The water is getting warmer. If the, if the Gulf Stream shuts down, um, uh, Northern Europe and, uh, and England are going to be the new Greenland. Okay, mm-hmm. This is what the implications really truly are. It's happened before, and it can happen again, and we will be the cause of it this time. And we think I think personally from everything I've seen, it seems to be we're at this ecological pissing piss. Well that too. That that (laughs) too, yes, tipping point. But we are at a crossroads. And E. T isn't gonna save us, but they're they're trying to get a dialogue going with us that we need to take care of and everybody you talk to who's ever been an experiencer or an abductee will tell you those folks are great and they told us to take care of our planet
0: i know that's been the that's been the answer f- that's been the message forever yes like at least from the 40s but even before yes. that yes i mean even the blessed virgin mary says you know take care of your planet stop having war pray pray for peace
1: pray is magic
0: uh huh that's what I was hoping would come out of your mouth after I said that
1: Conce- not so much the words, but the concentrated thought and image of your head of peace, yes, of what peace means and the heartfelt intention of asking for peace and saying we need it peace here's the deal: everybody thinks heaven and God is out there someplace. the spark of life. I shouldn't even call it that. The spark of life that is what animates you. Each of us have it. But think of it in a bigger sense. Think of it in the sense that it's like a single drop of water in an infinite ocean. Okay? Each drop of water has an impact on all the other drops of water. But if you consider that infinite ocean to be the God force, and I'm not talking the God of Abraham, I'm just talking the God force, excuse me, the God force, what George Lucas talked about, the force, okay? May the force be with you, honest, really. Witches, understand, the force is what it is, and you are using your instance of the force to change things. Bear with me. So, the fourth. If you make prayers of offering of goodwill, joy, health, and abundance to every being, if you drop, every being, everywhere, every when, that blowback is wonderful. Because you have just executed an act of love to all of the God force everywhere. Okay? Because each of those drops, because of being a piece of the God force, technically, each one of us is a God. I'm not saying that in a gender term. Okay? I had a talk with someone this afternoon, quite literally a, a... a physician, he says, How, he says, "How do you do this stuff?" Says, I'm a goddess. I create universes. He says, "You create universes." I'm a storyteller. I write novels. I write short stories.
0: And yes, I make
1: plays. I make. I've made indie films. I tell stories. I create universes. So did George Lucas. You may not have heard of me, but you certainly know he created a universe. So who's to say that didn't manifest somewhere? Mm-hmm. Okay. It certainly has meant his universe has manifested here and Disney bought it.
0: <laughs> Disney doesn't buy things that don't
1: exist. <laughs> but the bottom line is you are the divine force. So here's the deal. If we have a lot of, there are. I did. I did. A, I used to write a column for Wicca magazine, and uh, yeah, I get around, don't I? <laughs> um, and I wrote an article. I found 140. I was trying to find protection deities, and I didn't find any. Actually, I ended up only a couple of months ago. I wrote this article back in 2018. A couple of months ago, I found. To protector deities, okay. There were 147 war-making gods and goddesses, fierce, not really wrathful. Okay, yeah. no problem. Even Yalve, hey baby, he's wrathful. He's a god, of, you know, our god of vengeance, you know. But the bottom line is, this wrathfulness. There is no protector deities out there. Oh, you can go to the Buddhist tradition and find protectors there, but most American pagans aren't going to invoke some Buddhism. Goofy Buddhist uh, deity I do I know how to work with them And they're great Okay But In traditional paganism Tribal Tribal religions They were mostly War-making gods And goddesses And then I went out There was 175 Total traditions They had all these War-making gods And goddesses And then I looked up Something And I said I wonder how many of them Have peace gods Seven traditions had gods of peace. Okay. I only found two protector deities out there in the mix. And both of them were Egyptian. And I just happened to be an Egyptian priestess. Who knew? You know. <laughs> but you see the problem. And go back to the UFO committee. Steve Bassett has said it very well. And I think he got it from somebody off this world humans are addicted to war some of the highest rated movies we pr- that are produced out there are war
0: movies yeah okay yeah it's, star wars is a war movie it's a war movie it's in the title take yes take a look at go out
1: there and take a look at buck rogers or even flash gordon those kinds of movies back in the early days of filmmaking. And it's always, excuse the expression, some white guy with a phaser or a ray gun or something. Even with oh, Star yeah. Trek, it was the same thing. Okay? That's what this is. This is about patriarchal people with weapons. That gives us a growth. Oh, that was a great white man with a gun in the Af- in Af- in African movies. Huck, mm. Yeah, Yeah. Great white hunter. Yeah, yeah. Guys we got to stop all this killing. I'll tell you what, I had a very interesting dream the night before the Hamas war, Israel war broke out. And it was about two countries that had been in a hundred years war with each other. And that's not too far off from what we have right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Give it a few <laughs> more decades.
1: And a, a goddess got asked to come and negotiate. They said, we can't do it ourselves. We'll call a goddess in. And she listens to their cases for weeks. And her solution, a pox on both your countries. You over there, you are going to die of this. And you over there, you are going to die of that. And you over there, the thing they have can cure you and the thing that you guys have, they've got. You can live together, you can work together, and live, and be friends, or you can fight together, and die equally. And that was the solution. Unfortunately, the next morning I got up, and they were at it again. And I can't I I have to really very carefully go through my news because I I don't want it. I don't care about it. I don't want about it. They they aren't trying to make peace. They really aren't. And um a pox on both their countries. As far as I yeah. I feel the same way about it. Um we've got too much stuff. There's too much there's too much profit in war. And military needs to step forward and take the boy toys away. Because women make communities. Yes. Okay. Now, this is coming from a a male-to-female tranny. I've been one for 34 years on this Halloween. I had my surgery on Halloween, by the way. Uh, It's something we have to look at as witches, lady witches, We do have more power in our hands than people give us credit for. We need to stop all of the month. The matriarchy needs to return and needs to return in force. The boys have made a mess of it with bloody war after bloody war. Okay? Yeah. And we need to change this. And the women are 51% of the population and we need... To take over the
0: government
1: and we need to be one hell of a blue wave in the next election yeah Okay. and it, it needs to be of a mentality we're not trying to protect the tranny it would be nice if we did but we need to not, not worry about the fact that they are, the Republicans have been trying to tell us oh, you, you don't want men dressing in skirts and trying to take away your privilege what privilege? yeah People say, well, Cheryl, you're not a real woman. I took the 30, 40, 40% pay cut. (laughs) Okay. I took that cut, corporate cut. I didn't get a raise for five years after I changed. And the people I worked with in engineering at at the company I worked with, they, well, Cheryl did that crazy sex change thing. We can't trust her judgment about anything. took me three years to get that level of professional self-esteem back. For God's
0: sake. But
1: I got it back. And people saw what kind of talent I had outside of the company. They said, Jesus, why are we treating her like crap inside the company? We're going to lose her. We got to keep her. That is what happens when you apply yourself and channel the magic where it needs to be. Not about money. It's about resources. It's about respect. Okay. This is what I'm talking about. But the women need to stand up and stop looking at the cosmetics, especially the younger women. Stop worrying about getting on TikTok and being the the lady toddy, hottie totty. You need to stand up and take control or it's going to look like the handmaiden's wife again. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to be nasty. And you're seeing with what they're trying to do. They're shutting down all this stuff with the trannies because they know nobody will dis- defend them. We're only a half a percent of the population and making it sound like we're taking over the country. We're not. But they're also t- telling you you can't control your body. They've been telling you you can't control your body since the Middle Ages, since the burning times. They, The popes said... Oh, we'll blame the women and the and the women and the witches for the pl- the black plague. We'll blame them for oh, they eat babies and they sell their souls to devil because there were women in those hierarchy circles that were providing the abortions in those days.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. They're telling you again, oh, you can't have control of your own body. The only beings that don't have control over their own bodies are livestock. Understand that. You need yeah. to take control. Forget the politics. The one party that's not going to screw you over on this thing right now is the Republic, uh, the Democratic Party. You need, we need to take those good old boys out of power because their mentality, if you follow their boards, is... We're the church, we're in power, and they're going to push that whole church mentality. Again, two genders because you're either a boy or a girl and nothing else. When science has shown that there are like 35, 40 gender com- structures within us, d- despite what our biology is. I am not defined by my biology. I am not defined by my DNA, your religion or your politics. All of us have to take that view because we are not the chicken suit. You are so, I am the empty, I'm the spirit without a name behind these eyes. And that is, as a witch, you need to wrap, or a pagan, you need to wrap your head around. You are the bright light behind these eyes. And this thing is, is transient, but you are the power. Take control of your godly power and use the tools you have in this chicken suit and change the world. You can do it. Band together with others to do it. If you can't bend together with others, do it in whatever thing you have control over. Start it that way. You can do it. Trust me. It's been done before. I'll wrap myself with that, my dear. How's that?
0: That is excellent. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for that history lesson. Um, I'm 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 kind of speechless. You you, <laughs> you you rendered me speechless. Nobody does that. I can always talk. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the work that you have done. Thank you for, my God, all of those numbers. And you did it old school. (laughs) And I'm amazed. Thank you for everything. And again, you're welcome to come back anytime you want. Honest and for true. We can talk about just about anything.
1: Anytime, anywhere, I'd we'll love to come back, talk real serious woo woo with UFOs. Okay. A that'd really be great. Interesting topic. And just keep it to that because there's some really good woo. And yep. it goes into this consciousness realm stuff. And uh, ET's already got it. And, and they're trying to wake us up to understand it. <laughs> so, I th-
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty much what I've started to think. Well, I thank have,
1: you. I had a llama once look at me in a crowd besides telling me he knew me. And this is a different llama. He looked at the seven, the 35 monks and nuns that were at this little gathering. We were having like a weenie roast, right, to celebrate him being there. And he's looking around, and he looks he looks at me and his friend Vicky, and he says, oh, you two have been touched by the sky dancers. And we, the two of us knew each of us had been, with, was an experiencer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He says, you two have been touched by the bikinis. Oh, this is good. We should talk, you know. So um, even the deepest, even some of the oldest religions know a great deal about this.
0: Okay. I think it's in all of the older religions. I mean, yeah, I don't want to be one of those people who says, do, "Do you see that? It's a UFO. That's what it is." He's in a spaceship, and you know, looking at art. But it, there's just there's always been sky people, yeah, and any, water people. Any
1: indigenous tribe will tell you that. Yeah, I one one last real short story, real quickly. Okay, I got to wrap. I got to wrap this. Up. There. Let's say it. I'm losing it here at the end of the night. We were just talking about UFOs with, with like the elders and such.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. On the consciousness side of this thing, I'll give you a tidbit. I was at a, an event with some Sri Lankan monks. thousand-ish okay and i was at a big festival and i was looking for a restroom remember i'm a tibetan robes buzz cut that's like the dalai lama and i go into this building thinking maybe there's a restroom in here found myself sort of on the edge of a stage there were six or seven high-level Lama teachers from several, you know, we had Cambodia, uh, Korea, Japan, um, uh, India, They, they, They really wide range. Okay, there's about six or seven of them. And I realized that the door had locked behind me and I couldn't get out. Oh. And somebody on the edge of that line, they were talking apparently to an audience. He looks back to hear what the noise was with the door, sees me standing there in Tibetan.
0: Hey, we got a Tibetan. You know, <laughs> oh.
1: Drag, drag me out here. There's an empty lazy boy recliner for me to sit in. They're having a public monastic debate, and there's like a moderator, there's an American Thai monk. There's like 250, 300 Sri Lankans in the audience, all English speaking. And I figured, okay, I'm sitting here. Now, I'm not thinking like Sanag, the one that I'm reincarnated from. I am thinking like Cheryl, who is like vocational school Buddhist uh, person, and I'm sitting here next to people with three PhDs. You know, I'm going, oh, my gosh, how are we going to deal with this? I- I'm just going to agree with everything they say. That's, that's my way out. And I did agree with almost everything because when they came around, it was in my teaching. I understood it and I couldn't argue with it. It was good. They got to me and the moderator says, Tashi, we have a question for you. How do we make, how do we, Buddhism always adapts to a culture and then makes that (coughs) culture, it makes itself, makes itself over again in that culture. It becomes that culture, part of that culture. And right now, all the Buddhism in North America, for the most part, is imported. Okay? It's just, how do we make it unique to, Ameri- to America? And I looked at him, I said and I got a microphone on it everything, and everything. I um, can I skip that question? I really don't think you're going to like my idea. Of course, the other monks say, oh, something to you about, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, all right. I said, first thing we have to do is lose the Asian baggage. you got to hurt a pin drop in the auditorium. And I said, what do you mean? And I says, well, first thing, start off with, you, you treat women like property in Asia, okay? I have on good authority from at least one high master in my lineage that says there's Hundred thousand monks in Asia that will never become enlightened in this lifetime because they haven't been able to embrace their feminine energy. But I'm talking with this voice. They think I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. So and they're going, Oh, yeah, but the tenth century scripture. No, 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 no. Go back to Buddha. Go back to the Vinaya. Go back to what he taught. Monks and nuns are ordained equally, oh, but the women have three hundred and sixty thousand monks only have a two hundred and eighty, then they carry the apparatus for reproduction, they have more responsibility. Mm. So we, we argued a couple of more points. I said a little while ago here in the talk, we all said that we all come from the same great drop, what's called the great Bindu, the great drop, the force. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says, we all came from a bindu. Oh, but a, a female birth is an inferior birth. And I said, yes, that's seventh century scriptures written by a lot of guys, right? Only one of them looks over to me, a Cambodian guy looks over to me, he says, why are you defending the women? Why are you defending the nuns? He says, because I'm a nun. <sighs> okay. And he says, let me make a point. In an hour, we're not treated equally. So In an hour, we're going to go outside. This is a big festival. The lay people have laid out a huge table of great food out there. We're going to line up in ordination order. Men first in ordination order. Then the nuns in ordination order. And anybody who got ordained today or in the last couple of days is going to be behind us. And we're going to go out there with our begging bowls. Looks like a bowling ball. It's spun aluminum right? We're going to go out there begging bowls. We're going to put food into our, our, our baking bowls and we're going to go sit down. The monks are going to be at this nice big long table and the two or three or four nuns that might be here are going to be put over here in a little card table together.
0: The kids table.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a good way of saying it. And there was no more questions. They moved on to the next question. <laughs> An hour later, we went out to get the food. Went in that line order, as I talked about. And there were two American Thai nuns and me. And we were getting ready to sit down at this stinky little kid's table, as they say. And we, so I glanced over at the monk table. And the monks were pointing at the empty seats on their table he says they out i told on so i said they outrank us says, we can't go over there he says yes we can they've invited us so we over there and we're getting ready to sit down together with them and he said we shouldn't be doing this i said honey we just climbed everest Mm-hmm. i thought that was the end of it about four months later my llama comes to the town they got to pick me out of a crowd I'm his duty driver. I'm driving around in my burgundy Saturn, taking him to all his appointments. And we're sitting at an eight-minute light in Rockville Pike in Maryland. And out of nowhere, little five-foot five sawed-off nothing guy says there, and says, So, I hear we have to lose the Asian baggage.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, God, who told you that? Oh, three Buddhist journalists that were in the audience. I read all of their articles. I said, am I in trouble? He said, no, you said the truth. He said, I'm the one that told you that monks are not going to become enlightened because they won't embrace their female energy because they're in a culture that says a female birth is an inferior birth. You said the truth. You teach that in your what you teach. I said, but it would come more authority if it came from you. He says, I'm the head of Tibetan Orthodox Buddhism North America. I can't monkey with that politics but you can and if it gets too cumbersome for us we can disavow you but you teach it so you just got your teaching tonight
0: and i am grateful i must go
1: and get some sleep is this cold is just killing me here (laughs) okay
0: all right
1: my dear take care Das vidania, everyone
0: thank you well that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of john keel podcast If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you.